Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We both have bad backs and weak stomachs and I can't drink alcohol anymore. And I get okay, like all of these things. And like every part of every joint is rickety. Yeah. I have like her, I herniate discs all the time. I have hernias all the time. I'm a mess. Jake, do you know how many discs I've herniated? I mean, truly, <laughs> why do you, why, why is that just a, a it's generations of inbreeding? That's it. It's from the, it's from the shtetl. It's like, it was not a good look. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to That's a Gayest Podcast. It is me, Eric Williams. I'm really so happy you're here and so happy that we have Jake Cohen on as this week's guest. It's kind of mind-blowing the people I'm able to uh, chat with on this podcast and he is really one of my internet heroes and all-around stars. So truly can't wait for that. Um, I will say though that there's, gosh, so much to discuss. I will be honest, I feel like I'm kind of on a struggle bus recently. I know like as people we're supposed to only put out how amazing we are and how incredible life is but i've been just like going through it i don't know if it's like anticipation for the world coming back and nerves i don't know if it's because the anticipation of my second vaccine shot i'm finally getting this week i don't know if it's just like fatigue from the winter but the good news is is that tomorrow i finally have that appointment with the psychiatrist I'm going to name this new segment, Me, Myself, and SSRI, following my journey to getting onto medication. Uh, so, of course, I would, I'm very happy to keep you on the, uh, abreast of the journey that I'm getting with my medication, because I feel like it is going to make a difference. Ever, ever since I talked to Zach Noe Towers on this podcast, he really kind of changed my mindset about it, and I'm excited to let you know how it's going. I will also say uh, I want to give a recommendation for a documentary that Matt and I watched the other day. It is called Murder Among the Mormons. It's brand new on Netflix, my friends. It is absolutely batshit bonkers. It's actually really topical that I bring up this documentary about religion because Jake and I talk a lot in this episode about Jewishness, Judaism, growing up Jewish, being gay, what it means. And this documentary shows you the extremes that religion can take, but also just it it puts together such a crazy crime story, a religion story, a historical story, and also just a batshit human story. So Murder Among the Mormons is a big recommendation. I I couldn't get enough of it. 
Um, Jake Cohen, though, is our guest this week on the podcast and really one of my favorite people. If you don't follow, it's at Jake Cohen, and he is an incredible chef. He actually worked at really famous restaurants in New York City, ABC Kitchen, Danielle. He was also working in food media for Savoir Magazine. He was the food critic for Time Out New York and the food editor for TastingTable.com. He now, though, is a New York Times best-selling author. That is correct. His Jewish cookbook, it is called Jew-ish, Jew-ish, is an unbelievable cookbook that he writes uh, taking his tradition of family cooking but also his husband's kind of Iraqi Persian traditions and puts them together in a way that is not only gorgeous images but next level recipes Matt and I have a copy my older brother had a copy for his birthday my twin brother has a copy I mean it's truly a book that you need to buy for yourself or for friends and family Jewish or not it does not matter his stories are so great. He's so funny. And also his his social media is is next level good. I posted on the Gay Ass Podcast Instagram some of my favorites from recent months. Um, so check that out. But also just follow him on TikTok and on Instagram at Jake Cohen, J-A-K-E-C-O-H-E-N. And you will immediately know what I mean. I want to thank Jake for coming on. I want to thank you for being here. Give us a f- subscribe and a five-star review. And please enjoy this chat with my friend Jake Cohen. You are not only a gay Jew inspiration, you're also so fucking funny. You are so smart. Your social media is iconic. And I actually was looking for your book around my apartment. I was like, where the fuck is this book? It was on Matt's desk because he was just looking through it during work. So <laughs> you're next to me now. So uh, New York Times bestseller. You are a star. Jake, congrats. Mazel tov. I'm so happy you're on That's a Gayest Podcast and so touched. Oh my God, my pleasure. I mean, I've been, I, I found you on TikTok originally and it was just immediate. Like I, I just saw it. I was just like, this is it. This is my people. I need, <laughs> we will connect. Like I, I very much am that kind of person on social where when I discover that like I align with someone when it comes to either humor or, or values or any of that, it's just like, all right, that's great. I'm going to make this happen. We're going to yes, connect. Absolutely. And I kind of felt the same way. Cause I, but then when I found out how big of it, and I'm truly not trying to gas you up just to gas you up. Like this, but it's, I'm not. When when I like saw your show, it was like it's so like I couldn't if I didn't even see follower count, I was like we are we are each other, and then I was like oh he's actually fucking huge. It's like it's like so, but it, it it's like the type of thing where there's obviously so much talk about and like amongst gays of like competition and negativity, and the only thing I felt when I saw you was just like full on pride, excitement, and just like just wanting to, to even glean any part of your brilliance. And truly, I have gotten your cookbook for multiple people in my family now, and um, I just am so excited to chat about his history, history, background, Jewish shit, gay shit, and like I first of all, want to talk about your book and just kind of see like, A of all, how are you feeling? I mean, you're, are you exhausted from the push? Like, it, it feels like you've been working so hard. Yeah, it's uh, it's killer. I'll say in in general, I think it is, it's so much work because the like the lead up is two years from when you sell it to like when it comes out. It's like so much time and you grow. Like when I think of like myself professionally in my career from when I sold the book and like, 
I got shafted on the advance. I like, everyone was like, like, this is, you should be grateful. I was a nobody. And I got the, this thing. It's like, and it was a niche book like Jews, like what, what Jews buy a Jewish cookbook who gives a, who cares about that. And as it came closer and closer to launch, everyone was pretty much, I could tell I was like a, I'm a second tier author. I'm, it's my first book. I'm not like someone who's really as known and, I'm the one who's like, all right, let's do this. This is the plan. This is like the social push. This is the marketing plan that I have. This is how we're going to use TikTok. This is how we're going to use Instagram. Um, all of this. And they were just like, oh, that's, that's, um, uh, that's ambitious. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. Because like, this is the goal. Um, and the goal was like to be a, a Times bestseller. And the thing is, and the thing that like, I always want to push is it's great for me. Like, yeah, I mean, who, who doesn't want that for themselves, but really this book and this journey has like taken on this idea of like Judaism and Jewish food and secular Jewish identity in America and all these things and seeing the way that interacts with people. So to me, like making the times list wasn't for me, it was for the Jews. It was to see a Jewish cookbook on the list, which is like something that is so rare. We actually like, I'm still trying to figure out like if there has been a Jewish cookbook on the list before, if not, or like all of that. So it's been nonstop. And I've just said yes to everything because again, I'd never done this before. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I did, I was doing Instagram lives and virtual events every day. And I like had a mini mental breakdown and everyone in my family was very concerned and I took a little break and it's all good. But really, I think the, like the key part is that I'm just very excited for like, the world to slowly come back to normal and being able to celebrate it in person with someone. Cause this book really is about like hospitality and being with others. Yeah. And community and being with people. And I think that's, there's so many things I want to get into that because first of all, the Jewish representation is huge. The fact that you're just talking about you and your husband in the book and like what that meant for you. And um, I also you know, question about this push that you've been getting out. I'm just, as a creative person and creator, I'm so inspired by it. Are you, did you like just intuitively have these social media ideas or were you like studying a course? How did you do this? How did we get here? I'd love to say that there was like some kind of, everyone always wants like the get rich quick scheme. And like, I'm the, I'm the biggest like scam artist when it comes to like buying the, not scam artist. I'm the biggest person to be scammed by like those like lose 20 pounds in a week like kind of like pills or or like even just during the pandemic i bought one of those like abs like vibrating belts like so i'm always about that life and at the end of the day there is no like get rich quick scheme it's that i knew all right went through my list who are the people who engage with my comment that have platforms that i can cook with what is the content that i can use viral a kind of medium such as Instagram Reels or TikTok to really great, grab some traction. And to me, like, I just saw like what people typically do with a book launch, which are like talks at a thing. And I would go to, I, would, I had a lot of friends who came out with books and I would go to their talks and be like in conversation with this person and you show up and some people buy books and they do the signings. And when you take the signing out of it, which is what's been happening in this virtual sphere, any type of those events, like that means nothing. Who the hell, like who wants to go on the zoom and just listen to you or watch you? Like some people do, but it's just not as engaging. So for me, as someone who's socially native, it's like, great, I'm going to do 18 days of giveaways and Instagram lives, the giveaways to drive new eyes on my page, just to get the name out there and the lives, because it's opening myself to different audiences. And like, yes, you could use someone's name to sell tickets, but it's going to be much more important to like, just 
have all of their followers get a ping being like, Katie Couric is cooking with, with Jay Cohen and all this stuff. And, and, and those are the things that I, to me, were, was not only the most like impactful, but it was just also the most organically fun. Like those were the lives where I just really got to like chat and hang and cook. And a lot of these people are people that I've connected with throughout the pandemic because you see celebrities really leaning into cooking and food and, and hobbies. Well, it's also, yeah, it's very timely because like, what else are we going to do? It's like, we'll watch our Bravo and then we'll make our gorgeous meals and then show the world the gorgeous meals. And then our hot takes about Jen Shaw going to prison. It's like, we're doing what we can. I absolutely. And also I think the part of what I love about you is that it's just also just consistency and an excitement about what you are doing and not like getting in your own way. It's like, I'm just going to continue to do what I do. And then the eyes will get on and then they'll do what they do, which turns out by the fucking book. Um, I will say say that one of your Instagram lives that I have loved so much is your matchmaking moments. And like, yeah. it's been so incredible to see like all of these different people just like talking in their homes. And then of course I'm fully not available, fully a married human. Yet I'm looking at their profiles. I'm like, Oh, they're like, I wonder, I wonder if like they yes. say they're, like, <laughs> but like, what have you, what have you heard from people that have been on the lives? So it's funny because it's been like a combo of people. I've literally don't know, never heard it before, as well as people I know, like from, especially the gay Jewish sphere of like, mm-hmm. no, 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 like you need, there's this one, this is one guy, Leo, um, and his brother is like huge on TikTok. Oh, um, I, oh I've seen him. You know, you know, you know, you know. So like in those moments where I'm like, no, you need to come on and sell yourself and all of this. And it's very like vulnerable and personal because I'm not like doing matching. It's mainly just being like, come on and say like, who are you and what are you looking for? And then people just slide into DMs and I, I've gotten a lot of messages. The funny thing is, is that most of the physical dates that have happened from the lives have been with the straight men. <laughs> and, and I just, I think I just get my, I think that like the women are thirstier yeah. in, in this current moment, which I can understand. But I mean, listen, I think it, it's so funny and I'm sure you're aware of, of the gay sphere right now on Instagram. <laughs> everyone is so thirsty like every and they're all married they're all but it's just like we are all like locked inside so it's the just the messages everyone posting like their peloton or their fitness or their this that everyone's just like fishing for compliments right now it's not even like thirsty it's just like everyone just wants to be loved we want to be loved we want validation and if people think exactly. it's sexy on top of it why the fuck not i mean the brothers on your instagram live that you were i was like i thought they were so cute the brothers yes Oh my God. It's just all, it's just all so good. I was just talking in a previous episode with Lewis Peitzman about the pandemic horniness and it's making us act in somewhat crazy ways and like crazy ways. And I'm curious. I have no doubt that like, there's going to be like this, like kind of um, next wave when things go back to normal of just like, everyone's nudes leaking like e- like even like like a li- like in from like a list to d list like everyone is just gonna be like they don't care anymore like i like oscar nominees with only fans like it's gonna like, be is that is that scarlett johansson um <laughs> yeah i mean it's, is that annette benning we're truly gonna see like I, honestly like i think every pun probably is going to look back on their pandemic hornets and be like I, I can't believe I did those things because we're going to forget what it felt like to be locked away for a year. But yeah. I, do you think there's also going to be this roaring twenties moment of just like, of like, are people going to get shy again once they're out in the open? Or do you think it's going to be like, I've been locked up that we're going to have orgy upon orgy. So I think there's an in-between what I've been like, I, I think the huge part of like, like what has really kind of killed me is not seeing people. Um, but I also hate like, 
I hate crowds and anything. The pandemic has like made me look back on like some of the things that I've done. And I'm just like, like, why did society tell me like this was a value? I think about like my husband and I, our first like pride together going to the peer peer dance and Ariana Grande performed. And it was so hot and disgusting. And like she performed like three songs. Mm-hmm. Like to me, looking back, I could have I could watch her Netflix special and would have been so much happier. <laughs> and to me, like what I'm looking forward to is like a lot more small the gatherings with friends and just being able to have that trust again of not yes. being like worried. I think my biggest fear was that like my friends are going to give me COVID and then I'm never going to be able to forgive them because I'm broken, not because of them, <laughs> just be, but because I hold a grudge. So that was a huge part of the distancing. I mean uh, that I identify so hard. Like one of the last nights before the pandemic started, we went to Icon, the tiny gay bar in Astoria to watch RuPaul's Drag Race. And I don't know what the fire code was there, but they were not following it. It was like maybe 300 people. And we were so, I mean, you could just lean over and you were on someone else. And Matt and I had a tiny argument where I was like, we need to leave. This is not fun for anyone. But like it, it did show me that it's not, I don't need to be in that sort of scenario, but I think the small dinners and the small gatherings are going to feel so much better. And like, and actually that that's a part of the book that I love so much as you talk about and and not to, you know, get too dark, but I want to, I want to like, bring this up because it really affected me is the the part where you're talking about the last celebration for your wedding and then the tree of life attack happened and then that next shabbat you had this giant meal it's first of all so beautiful to think of all these people coming together but also of course i remember exactly where i was when i found out this happened and also my parents uh, got married at tree of life synagogue and so you know my mom is from pittsburgh and hearing that connection was like was so touching to me because it really is the power of community and food and bring yeah. people together. And um, what was it like to, you know, come back from your wedding and then have this whirlwind? And then when that dinner actually ended, was it just like complete emotional depletion? Like, how was it? I would say the opposite. So I feel like those types of events, like just supercharge me. Yes, they're exhausting, but there was something so magical. So that one in particular, I... One table, incredible nonprofit. I'm on their board. That's all about like getting people's in their 20s, 30s to host Shabbat. They're who how I pretty much got like introduced to Shabbat because like my husband and I, neither of us grew up with our families like hosting. Maybe we did like one a year around Rosh Hashanah. And when we started hosting Shabbat, it, w- it was something that was small. I kept it to like 10 to 12 people. It was these intimate dinners. Again, like it's it, it was a it was a it was a thing. But when they called for these Salvary Shabbats, it really just felt like. 10 people wasn't enough. So I pretty much invited any single person that had ever come to any of my spots before on top of literally, which is like, again, this was a different time. Now I probably like I, my family's been pushing that I need to like create some boundaries. I posted on Instagram. I was like, who wants, who wants to come? And literally strangers came, opened it up to anyone. It was like this huge thing it was friends of friends. And then you see like strangers come and they know some of my friends and you play Jewish geography. And we did this, thing um a friend of mine it was wonderful it was this is a very common like camp thing when you do the, the challah blessing when you do the motzi of like someone holds a challah as many people touch the challah and then people touch people who's touching the challah which obviously like also looking back is like oh we're all just like putting our hands on this but um it's just so i have this video of everyone saying the motzi literally all touching each other huddled it's like 80 people in the lounge of of my building and it was, it was just so casual. It was so wild and it was just perfect. It was just one of the most like 
rewarding experiences because everyone was showing up for like Jewish community. Mm. And I, I think one of the most powerful things is seeing people who were like us that didn't have that adult urban connection to Judaism because of the fact that it was kind of segmented away of something from childhood in the suburbs or uh, wherever they come from. And it's like, yeah, we did Hebrew school, got bar mitzvah. And I'm like, all right, done. There is very much, I think, as an adult of like reclaiming what you actually want to hold on to from your past, whether it is religion or not. And I I was just thinking about this because of Passover right now. We had Seder with Matt and and my husband, Matt, is Catholic, like grew up, like barely knew any Jews. But since meeting me, we've been together for long enough where he's like done a lot of Jewish stuff. He's like now at every wedding in Bar Mitzvah, he's the one holding the chair because I'm like my back issues. But he (laughs) just like he is so hasn't so embraced it. So now he makes an incredible brisket we did the seder together and i and i was like this our seder wasn't very long but i was trying i was asking myself what parts of this do i connect with that uh i want to carry into my future with our children and and i think that Mm -hmm. when i when i was a kid like man my judaism growing up it was like i was we ate kosher i went to hebrew school i mean we were like i it was very in in ways it was pretty intense because at one point i was not only going to bar mitzvah training i was doing two days a week for hebrew school and then sunday school i was like at synagogue four or five days a week and i like parts of me really liked it but parts of me as i got older i was like in college i was like i'm not gonna keep passover i'm not gonna do any i'm like it's like i don't connect to it at all and now i'm kind of coming back around this yeah what what are the things i really connect with I'm still not keeping Passover this year, but I, but I'm not, but I'm not guilting myself for it. That's of the course. difference is I'm, I'm realizing, Oh, it's my own decision and what, and what is meaningful to me because that's why I think the, the cookbook has, has hit such a core with me because the fact that Matt was the one that ordered it before I even knew that he had ordered it. It was like, he's the one embracing these traditions too. And now it feels like it's ours together. And so I'm curious about your upbringing. Like what, as as an adult now versus as a kid, was it were you bar mitzvah? Were you really religious, or what was what was the what was the deal? So I came from a very secular family. So my sister and I pretty much had this, and I think that's one of the main issues with I would say a huge percentage of the Jews in America, and and this kind of desire to just like step away is that it was just like forced to go through the motions. Hebrew school twice a week. You got to get bar mitzvah. Um, and then you can quit. Literally, that's what my parents always said. Like, you have to get bar mitzvah, and then you can step away the next day. And that's what I did because that was the option, and that was the passive path of least resistance. And like, we did two seders, and we did a Rosh Hashanah dinner, and we did a break fast, and that was it. That was it for the whole year. And if we went to shul, it was maybe for Yom Kippur, or maybe it was just for a bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't really something that was like super pushed. And I think that the, the generation right above us, when it comes to Judaism has really been of this mentality that like, we do what we do because we do it. It's that like fiddler tradition kind of thing. It's like, this is how it does. Why do we do it? I don't know. It's just what we do. And and my husband had the same thing, if not less. He was he didn't actually get bar mitzvah, and it was something where now we're these two adults trying to figure out what our connection to Judaism is. And and for a lot of people, they don't understand because of the fact that that Jews have, have Jewish identity is something that that's very harmfully uh, discredited in the world, let alone America, as something that has any value or importance in terms of cultural integrity or personal identity. So it's something that, like, as an adult, only throughout doing all of this work do I see and unpack that 
every aspect of myself, my values, the way I, I interact with family, hospitality, friends, all of it is rooted in Jewish value and my Jewish upbringing. That being said, when you're constantly being told, no, that's not a thing or save it for Passover. And, and, and I, I, one of the things I've been saying a lot, um, on like all my JCC talks when they try to compare of like what like Jewish identity means to me, it's like, you think of that like homophobic uncle at, at dinner who says like, oh, you know, gays can get married, but do they have to be so gay around me? Like really, can't they like save it, save it for the bedroom? Oh. And, and to me, like, that's what it feels like being Jewish where you, you just, you can't be too Jewish. You just have to be a little bit Jewish. And that's like how it's represented in media. I think of the Goldbergs, one of my, like one of my favorite sitcoms when it came out, I actually stopped watching because I was really upset that this was this like Jewish show surrounding Jewish characters. And for at least like the first three seasons I watched, they did not say the word Jewish once, not Jew or Jewish once. And that same thing with Seinfeld, you don't say the word Jewish. And to me, that is like that's harmful. It's harmful and, and it does such a disservice. Yeah, I think it's like you're I'm having a lot of light bulb moments here because I'm realizing like there are there are parts of me that's like, don't admit you're too Jewish because like I'm worried about what people would think or assume about me. But it's like you're right. It's sort of weaponized against you. Like you're allowed to be Jewish in ways, but don't don't show it in such aggressive. It's the same thing with the homophobic uncle. And who here doesn't have a homophobic uncle? But um, I, I do. I do want to know, did, was your bar mitzvah themed at all? Was it just party? What yes. the theme? Um, so it was, it was party. There was a light theme. It was something that I, I, I don't talk about. I, I end up talking because that's the number one question everyone does, including myself. That was like the, when I did all these, especially with all the celebrities, that was the first question I had for all of them. It was like, what was your bar mitzvah theme? Yes. Um, but literally my sister and I had a B'nai Mitzvah. It's so rooted in privilege. It's so bad. We, it was on a yacht that went around the Long Island Sound. So every table, it was it was nautical themed and every table was a different like nautical themed movie. So my table was the life aquatic and it was a thing. <laughs> I think it's simultaneously like very Jewish, very New York and very gay. Like, of course, the life aquatic was the theme of the table. Yes. Wait, this is, I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't know it was going to be this good, Jake. This is really a good theme. This is so wait you had a baby missed though what are you and your sister twins or different ages or what was the deal we are we're 13 months apart so it was per- so it worked well Jake, I had a banana with my brother. This is amazing. I love it. So uh, we could not agree on a theme um, because he wanted to do sports. I wanted to do Broadway. It's the um, the tales of time. And so, of course, we agreed on Austin Powers, the Mike Myers film. And um, looking back on it, I think it was deeply inappropriate what my parents did with like, the decor. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. The decor, when you walk in, it says Eric and Mike's something Eric and Mike's la- layer, whatever it was. And then there were two cages of cutouts of women with the go-go dancers, with go-go dancers, but like full glitter silhouettes. And like, sure. They're go-go dancers, but like it's women in cages. And then you walk <laughs> in and then there were circular beds with leopard print on top of it. And it was like, of course, like just for the 13 year olds to hang out on. But of course in the movie, it's like where Austin Powers trying to have sex with all. It was um, again, rooted in privilege because my parents like, of course spent too much money on this. Yeah, yeah. But like Austin, we, we really went for with Austin Powers. My dad made a video where he was Dr. Evil. My younger brother was Minnie. 
kidding me? I mean, it was just... I love that. It was a production. And of course, I, I'm so grateful. But also, um, I'm wondering, you know, as we, as our generation has children, what's the Bar Mitzvah theme? What's it going to go into? I think it's got to... It definitely has to be rooted a little bit more in like... A, I mean, it sounds so cheesy, but like service of like when our kids, it's going to be, there's a whole idea of like the mitzvah project with the bar mitzvah, like that's going to be the focus. The party is going to be secondary. If even it's going to be more casual. I hate, hate, hate that people like have turned this into like weddings. And I made my niece actually watch. She's about to get bar mitzvah next month. And we made her watch. Have you ever seen Keeping Up with the Steins? No. Oh my God. One of the most iconic movies with Daryl Sabara from Spy Kids and Jeremy Piven. And um, uh, I forget who else is in it. Um, so it's all these people. And it's all about kind of um, the idea of like competing bar mitzvahs in LA. Um, and it was just, I remember it was so iconic. It came out right around when when my sister and I had our B'nai Mitzvah. And it, it, it was just like such a beautiful representation of how this culture has pushed in a way that it shouldn't be and that we need to kind of like turn it around. I think this is a great opportunity for us to have that change because who we don't, we don't need, I don't need to have my children have a, a barman's a theme that is based on like their favorite movie and then have a, a giant set. And I'm sure Matt would not like to have that as well. So I think he'll fully embrace this. Um, but I do think there should be like a, a picture book, like a coffee table book where we like document everyone's, <laughs> Like when I hear, I, I did a, one of my lives with Benny Blanco and he said that his, his theme was close up magic and like iconic, my friend, um, what's called Evan Ross Katz, his theme was like Hollywood. He had cutouts of, of Sarah Michelle Geller. Like when you go through all of these stories, it's just so comical that like, this is what we thought was like it. This was yes. the hot party. I love oh my it. God. My, one of my good friends, she wanted to do cheerleading. Her mom wouldn't let her. So they did women in sports. Um, <laughs> my, my other friend, Esther Steinberg, she, she had Hollywood as her theme. And we had a joke in one of our, we did a show together right before the pandemic where uh, we would talk about our bar mitzvah themes. And I, the, we say like, you're, I go, your theme was Hollywood. It's so broad. And she goes, it's not broad. I was manifesting my destiny. And we were, we were performed at the duplex in the West village. And I was like, your destiny, mm-hmm. your theme was Hollywood, not gay bathhouse in the West village. It's like not, not a gay <laughs> bathhouse in the West village, but like, it's true. Our bar and bar mitzvah themes. I feel like it was us as 13 year olds really trying to assert our identity in many ways. And so there is that beauty to it. But I think, we can kind of meet in the middle of of, of, yes. of expressing ourselves at that age. So as we're going into pop culture, I love, I need to see that movie. First of all, it sounds, I can't believe I haven't seen it. It's like, sounds so up my alley. Um, what are you into? I'm going to give you two options here. If you identify with both, I support this, but I want, I want to know what you lean more towards. Would you consider yourself a Broadway baby or a Bravo bitch? Do you lean more into the Broadway of it all? Or do you like watching the Bravo every week? What are we? It's Bravo. Um, I never was like, I didn't grow up broad. I mean, my, so I grew up, I'm very close. I was, was very close with my, my late grandmother who lived in the village and she would always take us to shows. And like, we've seen, we'd see something ever, all the time. That being said, it was never like, I wasn't huge on Broadway, which is funny. Cause now we have like a lot of friends who are either work in Broadway or on Broadway. And, and I think we've gotten more, I think coming back as adults, we appreciate a lot more when we go to see someone's show and just like, that was incredible versus like as a kid being dragged being like, movies, no, no Broadway. Um, but Bravo. I mean, I'm a child of speaking of like Hebrew school, my sister and I would rush home Sunday from Hebrew school to turn on the TV because on Sundays at that, that time, I don't know, 2005, I think it was like 
you rush home because VH1 would air the new episode of Flavor of Love <laughs> in the middle of the day when it was it was supposed to premiere that night, but for some reason they would also play it at like the middle of the day. So we'd rush home and we'd watch Flavor of Love, which was like our favorite show. Um, and the fact that our parents just let us watch it at like 12, 13, like crazy. <laughs> but um I, that kind of set the seeds for like my obsession with reality TV and surreal life. And all, I was just, I loved all of that. So as soon as the housewife started, I've just been like in it from the beginning mm-hmm. on like, I went to high school in Long Island and there was this bookshop called the book review and everyone came to do their book signings there. It was like the place. So like, we would like go like, make sure we would go meet like Teresa when she did her cookbook <sighs> and like, um, Bethany and Aunt, when Andy's first book came out, that's when I met Andy. And like, it, like you're just, I was a teenager just obsessed with this whole realm. And now obviously still obsessed, but with a completely different outlook of, of understanding like the production of reality yeah. television. I mean, gosh, there's so much there. I, I definitely flavor of love. Absolutely. I, I was with the first season of orange County real housewives and I, I still, I still stuck with it, but, um, did you ever watch the show on Bravo? Speaking of Long Island, the uh, Princesses of Long Island is that what it was? Is that what it was called? It was a reality show that was based on like Jewish women that li- lived on Long Island. It had one season on Bravo. Did you watch it? Wasn't it Secrets and Wives? There was that one. Oh, maybe. Oh, I do think I know what you're talking about. No, I didn't watch it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. That was. Uh, I mean, again, deeply problematic. Like, we're deeply. just truly, truly, I'm truly, at truly. Their, I mean, the cover, I, yeah, there's like this, like the girl that was four foot 11, that was like, oh my God, yes. I just, yeah. And I mean, like, obviously it lasted for a season for a reason, but there is so much there. I mean, I want, we were watching New Jersey last night, and the fact that Teresa Judice, Judice is still on that show right now, and they're still fighting about her husband that's now been taken out of the country i think it's just crazy that it's still enduring first of all second of all there's that show that annie cohen's doing on, on e now are you watching yes it's like, so i need to start i need to start I've, I've, it's, it's top of my list it's really good it's just like breaking down what the secrets are and like they they show last night they showed Teresa's audition tape for it i saw like, that i saw that clip i just think it's what as you grow with your book and your everything do you are what do you envision like if if you were approached for a reality show would you be like absolutely not or like sign me up so the funny thing was is that i have been approached a few times for like shows that either like that never came to life or i didn't get cast and they came to life and like flopped completely so it's just good like all this stuff but yeah that was like the that was the goal at first because i think that in the same way that i i can understand social media and and i see like how harmful it could be, but also how you can utilize it for, for like your own benefit. I have, because I've kind of grown up in the like reality TV age, I think that like, I would be very good on reality TV in the sense of understanding like what you need to do, how you need to be yourself and how you can like pick and choose what fights you do and the storyline that you go down because it is really it's all produced. It's all that. I, I think the best moments of reality TV, the best moments of like drag race are like when uh, the Queens start to realize that the producers have created a storyline for them. Um, that's going to result in them going home. And you start to see it unraveling of them realizing like, Oh, actually like my time is up. Um, Wait, and you, that's and a you really could good observation. You could see it. I mean, you could see it in their faces. It was uh, like the whole Jan crying thing. Like she, the fact that they didn't give her the win, like was pretty much just like a stamp on that she was, she was going to be out soon. And to me, 
I think I was at a place where I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it now. Probably not just because like you watch, like I'm obsessed with Salt Lake, love Salt Lake, love, 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 love Salt Lake. I think Meredith is an icon. Heather Gay is beyond, beyond, beyond. But here's the thing, because reality TV has been going on for so long, these women are coming in with the preconceived notion of how they have to act. I think of Jen Shaw and the way the, the power and velocity in which she, she has come at these situations on the show. Yeah. And it, it is from a place of like, you have that idea of like, you have to come in hot or else you won't get recast, which is very much like that Kelly Dodd kind of problematic thing of, of guess what? Then that spirals and you're too much and people don't want just a crazy person because they won't film with you. And it's true. I and think it just like becomes something um, else. She's saw what she needed to do, but she didn't let the process happen naturally. And so it's, it's the, the rise and the fall has been quite quick for Ms. Jen Shaw. I, I'm obviously we're going to see what's going to happen. The fall is hard. The, the fall, fall right is now is hard, hard. Jen. I mean, also we find out that she's renting her house. It's like, it's like every storyline from a problematic housewife has happened to her in like mere months. And I think whereas Kelly Dodd, I think she's always been problematic, but I think it's been a little more of a, a, a gradual ramp up where she like wants to stay on. And then she's well, like, I mean, she came off like, hot like dropping the c-word in her oh, first season true. just like saying like no wonder your husband cheated on you like she came she was like she was ready to fight um which guess what god bless because if you're willing to just destroy your reputation and, and your image on national television there's going to be an audience for that um, like people are going to watch i mean i i envision for you jay cohen i see like i see because you know what you are you know what is good television i feel like you could be a mix between a heidi klum and a tyra banks in terms of hosting a show maybe it's a competition show maybe it is uh something where we obviously get into your personality but it's not you unraveling on camera that would be the dream 100 percent, 100 percent. i think I have now focused every aspect of, of, I think throughout my career, there's a, there's a lot of problematic like themes and media, whether it's writing about food or like I was a restaurant critic for a time out in New York for a while. And, and like the idea behind like negativity of like tearing people down, tearing down restaurants, talking about ways that, that shaming people for being bad cooks, like all of these things. And I just am not about that life anymore. I just want only positivity, mm-hmm. only celebration, only joy. The rest can be for like, there are plenty of people who are willing to sell their soul to be an asshole on TV. And like, I can tell you right now off the top of my head, the list of people that get chose as judges for like the food network competition shows, because they just like are mean to people. Yeah. I don't want to be known as a mean person because guess what? Like then you get typecasted as that like bitter gay Mm-hmm. caricature and i don't need that stock talk about archetypes and stereotypes there was on below deck on bravo right now there's this uh family that is on the boat and i don't know if you it's this below deck sailing i'm personally not into it in the least however talking about these stereotypes there's a family right now on the show that is two they're two gay uh men who have like five children. They were married to each other. They are now divorced. The two dads now have different partners. And one of the partners of the dads was the ex-boyfriend of the dad's daughter. So that's already a lot. Then they end up being just like, they know they're on television. And so they're really incredibly mean to the staff. They're incredibly, and and it it hurts my soul because they are perpetuating this stereotype in a way, because you know, they're doing it to sell their soul, to be on television, to have these storylines. But it's like, at what cost? Like we, I I hope people watching are are like, not thinking like, well, that confirms it. 
gay people. It's like, that's not. You hope, but people see this. No. Yeah. But you have to understand that people watch the show and they think like, wow, this is real life. Wow. They watch the housewives and they think, they think everything is just like, they think all these parties are just, Oh wow. What a coincidence. They're having another, another launch party for some like secondhand. Their lives are so exciting. They always have these events. I know really, of course the events are made up just so they can have a fight there. I know Jake, I guess I'm still in some parts, especially now in COVID. You look at like the trailer for New York and like all these scenes where it's just like the six women at a table, like doing things with like with their pasties on like, oh, what, what, a, what a, a natural party to be having right now in the middle of a pandemic. Like it's wild. Oh, I know it's, it, it, it gets harder and harder when you realize all the behind the scenes. And I like, and that's the thing. It's like when people are servers at restaurants when they're sh- working at a restaurant, it sometimes can ruin their experience going to other restaurants. I'm sure people working on reality TV will watch other reality TV shows and feel like I know that's happening. I know what's happening there. I mean, Matt was a maitre d' at a very famous fancy restaurant in New York and hearing about the behind the scenes, they got a new chef hearing about just the when the new york times comes to review the restaurant just like the cutthroat energy behind it it like it is it's so high stakes and i you know before many years ago when i was trying to make my actor server life happen i i was like i could not go to other restaurants because i was so stressed out i would hear the bell i was like i need to run that food and i was also a terrible server i was a bad <laughs> i would like you know be the person carrying the martini on a tray spilling it everywhere i worked at cafe cluning the west village where yeah of course delicious restaurant my manager was so mean to me made fun of me for having a hairy chest i was like this feels not a- i mean i because you needed to be really clean shaven and so i would shave two minutes before I was um, on the floor and then they wore St. James striped long sleeve shirts and he would say, what's all this? Mentioning the chest hair coming out of my shirt and at that point, luckily, I was like literally 20 years old or 21 years old but even then I knew to be like, do you want me to wax my entire body? Like this is like what I was, maybe like maybe it's Maybelline, this is what it's happening like I cannot do that for my server job to wax my entire body. Why am I going into the story, Jake? Because it's an example. I mean, to me, it's like it's very like coded in anti-Semitism. That's and, what and I felt. Like it, it's it's the same way I think of. I just think of so much, and there's so many things that are so problematic. And there's this um, there's this food writer who's been doing this like, kind of like big expose. He's. I mean, I'm not. His stuff is can go both ways because he focuses on like cancel culture and like canceling people in, in the food world. Which I mean, I don't. Again, like I said, I don't like anyone's career to just be like dragging down and tearing down others. That being said, it's been about like his current focus is about like the kind of stereotypes against Jews and and the really like problematic ways that that America and people are treated, whether it comes to like thinking we have horns or like jokes about like change on the floor and a lot of tropes around blood libel and all these things and a lot of things that like have happened to me at like jobs I've had, very reputable publications of people who are still very much so in this industry as food editors who have done things that if any, if there was, if it was anyone else other than a Jew, they were, a career would be ended. Mm. But because I'm Jewish, it's like, oh, they were just being funny or, oh, they didn't mean it. And, and that's just like, I, I mean, I hate that. And I think we're, we're moving to a place in which like that can't happen anymore. Yes. And I think that 
I have had the experiences too, where things were said because he thought they thought it was a joke. They thought it would be okay. But and it's, it's when it happens in real life to you, it's hard to defend yourself. I feel, and that's me just speaking for myself. It's, I think there, it's like, maybe it's the people pleaser in me and the like, the like, just, I don't want anyone to be upset. But like, if someone says like, like, have I heard in my past a joke of someone saying to Jew someone down that, that has been said to me. And in the moment I was kind of like, um, I'm just going to pretend you didn't say that. Yeah. Like, I don't want to have a TED talk right now about like why that's not okay. That, but that's like, and I think we're, we're moving that one of the things that and she's become such an icon for me in the past year, only because I only watched crazy ex-girlfriend during the pandemic, but like obsessed with Rachel Bloom. And then the first episode it's, there's this thing where, where she's a lawyer, obviously. And one of the other lawyers was like, uh, she made, made some comment about, about like, oh, and she's got one of those, or talking about his, her, his divorce, and like, oh, she's got one of those Jew lawyers. And she goes, I'm Jewish. And he goes, really? You'd never know with that like little button nose. And, and it was just such like, it was rooted in, in humor, but also just like rooted in the fact that like, that is so, so common. That, that unpacks a lot for me, Jake. <laughs> I mean, I like the... <laughs> growing up like i i don't think i've told a story in so long but i was like wouldn't be made fun of for having a big nose and i mm-hmm. when i was younger i <laughs> broke my nose twice so i was really just like it was a sledding accident one time with my brothers so the second time was in pe the person on my own team accidentally hit me in the nose we did not win but i remember like i had this i had this bump on my nose after i was hit in pe class and this one of my high school bullies would put his finger on the bump on my nose and like make and like make fun of the size and what was happening. And it was always such a place of like shame for me. And as I've gotten older and like been able to realize like, like a, what it's rooted in B, we only have this one body and to like appreciate it. I, I, I think that there's something to be said for like, young people being mean, but also the things you internalize as you get older and then trying to shed that be like, you know what? I have a fucking yeah. hot, my nose is gorgeous. My hairy chest is great. And it's like, how dare these people try to take that away from me? Completely. My husband and I both, we talk about all the time. Like when we were in high school, both of us nose job, we were wanted, like, that's all we wanted. And luckily we didn't. And now I'm in this place now. I love my nose. It's like, I have like um, my sister again, very much like the, like she's got a little button nose. You would never know she is a Jewess. And, um, and, but like, I have this like a big Jewish nose and I now love it. And I lean into that because I think it is part of who I am in the same way that like, we both have bad backs and weak stomachs and I can't drink alcohol anymore. And I get okay, like all of these things. And like mm. every part of every joint is rickety. Yes. I have like her, I herniate discs all the time. I have hernias all the time. I'm a mess. Jake, do you know how many discs I've herniated? I mean, truly... <laughs> <laughs> I and the, uh, the alcohol thing too as I've gotten older I'm like I don't I can't I don't I can't partake in the it, may, it makes me feel like shit the the lactate pills are flowing in our kitchen it's like we there is very much a shared experience there why do you why why is that just a, a it's generations of inbreeding that's it it's from it's from the shtetl it's like it was not a good look <laughs> I didn't <laughs> <laughs> You know what? When you put it like that, that really brings it home. I didn't. Re- is it the inbreeding in shuttles? Jeez, Louise. That and that, now that's the whole conversation. It's like we're. I think there's a lot of and we talk about like shedding like a lot of the internalized messages that were, were that are beaten into us as kids, and a lot of that has to do with like the bloodline of Jews and marrying a Jew and all these things. And obviously, we're gay, so it's like the kind of way that that then adds on. So it's like if we want to have kids, like all right, great. 
are you getting a Jewish surrogate? If you adopt a child, are they Jewish? Like if you're, you, you were obviously men. So like if you get a, a Jew, a non-Jewish surrogate egg and, or it's, it's held by a, the surrogate themselves are a sure. Jew or not. There are all these like questions that people have. And one of my, the, like now the, 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 the joke that so many gay people have told me, is like, no, 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 you, you have to get a Gentile egg. It's the only thing to give your child a fighting chance. <laughs> Jake, I've had those thoughts. I've been like, you know what? If we use mat sperm, maybe they will not have to do as much hair removal. Um, I mean, truly, it's it is. I I actually hadn't really spent too much time thinking about the religion of the 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 the, the egg donor versus the surrogate. But I'm, there is a lot there. I mean, there is a lot, and also just like how people identify, like what the rules that we've been handed down. It's like I think it can be up to us. Like we're gay. We are already like not like that was the number one thing that that when we were married by a gay rabbi and we did um we did a very small ketubah signing with our immediate families and one of the things that we were kept asking about all these things like, Oh, what are the rules with this? What was that? And, and eventually it was just like, listen, this ketubah means nothing to the Orthodox community because you are two men. Right. So you get to do whatever you would like. And as long as this adds value to your life, then that's mm-hmm. all that matters. I think that's actually really freeing as being a gay person. I was saying this to someone that you were brought up so many years of the beginning of your life, like being gay is wrong. This is bad. This is gross. No, 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 no. And then when you're like, wait a minute, I am gay. Oh, wait a minute. It's amazing to be gay. Oh, wait a minute. I can do whatever the fuck I want. You can shed a lot of the rules that have been uh, placed upon you and then embrace things you want and especially like not only as gay people as gay jewish people it's like is really embracing the things but then with me and matt it's like matt's not even jewish and so it's like well then we're like an like an orthodox but i love that i love that because that's like my my sister's husband isn't jewish and that's been one of the most like one of the funniest things is we always joke that he's the most jewish one of all of us now over the years because he fits into all of the the the, he fits into every anti-semitic trope on top of the fact that like he's just taken on to like all of the customs and in in that way which is wonderful but uh, that's again there's been a lot of I, i think out of fear because of a lot of trauma for many generations of the way that we've been treated by non-Jews. There's been this idea that you have to like keep everything away. And, and one of my, this is like this one little quip that I'll give is that my sister went to Baruch in, in Manhattan and she had this one issue with a friend of hers was talking about this like anti-Semitic professor, which is like, I mean, that's a very common thing these days to have anti-Semitic professors in colleges, uh, liberal institutions. And he was the professor was saying something along the lines of like the ways that communities like kind of keep things for themselves. And he referred to it as like, yeah, just like how the Jews always say, keep everything away from the Goyim. And that's become like our new mantra is like, we're just like, keep everything away from the Goyim. But um, I think that was very much like a, a dated kind of idea rooted in the fact that we had to keep it. We had to look out for ourselves or else we would, be either expelled or killed. Um, and now we're in a place where we can be a little more trusting, not a hundred percent, but, uh, yeah, to the right people. <laughs> exactly. I, I do. I'm, I'm curious about how you and your husband, like, what's the story with you and your husband? How did you meet? I know you've been together for a while. What's the, what's the story? We met on hinge, uh, the dating app. And it was something that we were both like young professionals. I was working at Sever. He was in finance and we found out, which is funny because of what we did, though we didn't meet on Grinder, we were three blocks. We lived three blocks away from each other, which was like 
iconic in the sense oh that like God. we met on a non-location based dating app. But when we found that out, it's like, oh my God, convenience three blocks away. That was a huge part of the success of our relationship, I believe, is because we were able to like set the foundation mm-hmm. with such ease. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, we became incredibly codependent very early on. And that's it. <laughs> uh, Taylor's all this time. I mean, that's like really interesting because whenever I was dating someone and if, if they were far away, I was like, God, this fucking sucks. Because Matt and I, I was living in Brooklyn at the time. Matt was in Queens. And I told my roommate, who is now like a really successful writer for, I don't know if it's like the Daily Beast. Katie, shout out. But she, I met Matt and we lived a full hour apart on the subway. It was just like... It it was like Prospect Heights to Astoria. And I told my roommate, I was like, he's really cute. Um, he does live in Astoria. And she was like, it's not going to work out. And I was like, I think just because to spite you, I'm going to make it work out. And now I'm married just because I'm spiting Katie. And you're um, in Queens and we're so close. I, I love know. That. I'm like, you know what? This entire podcast episode is just to try to get you to invite me to a Shabbat someday. That's, you're going to come now. Now it's the funny... The So we are... We're almost fully vaxxed and it's been like the most emotional thing ever because it was one of those, I kept being like, I was in such, I think an emotional, like downward spiral. And mm-hmm. my, my sister kept being like, no, no, no. I was like, no, it'll all be better once I get the vaccine. My sister's like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. The vaccine is not just going to automatically like fix your, your emotional issues. Um, of course she was wrong because I felt amazing <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> no. Um, but I, one of the things I'm just like, so excited about is the fact that this is happening in spring. It's all that like symbolism of rebirth mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in like probably another month I'll start hosting Shabbat's again and I'll have to oh, have you yes, on. Absolutely. I mean like, and I'm, I think I'm like, I'm like two weeks away from my second shot. Matt just got mm. his and it's just like, I, I'm just, yeah, I think just the idea of even being around a table with other people and not fearing for your life. Ooh, that's <laughs> good. It's just like, that's what's on the menu is just of confirmation that you will survive to live another day. We were bad people, like in the sense of, no, not bad. Like we weren't like gays over COVID bad, but we were like, like those people that, um, we just made everything very difficult for everyone because we were been so strict this whole time of like, and then it's so awkward because then you see someone and you're like, all right, well, I know they've been, they, they rented a place upstate. So they've been away, they've been away. So they haven't seen people. So their risk is low. And it's like, oh well, do we God. keep on the mask when we hug them? Do we hug them? Do we, mm-hmm. all of these things. And I think that's why I've pretty much just been like, all right, we're just, we'll see them later. Like, we're like, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is very much what, I mean, that's why this year has been obviously hard for every single person, but being a neurotic Jew with like hypochondria and herniated discs, I think like, I think it's just like, it has been such torture on a weekly basis. And I went now, of course, as we're coming out of it, my uh, stress and spirals down have become fewer and far between, but I can count still on two to three hands, how many panic attacks I would have about like, it was either that my friends would have gotten me sick just because I sat with them outside and I took a sip of a drink and I was like a couple feet away from them and I didn't have my mask on, or I had driven, we drove to Atlanta to be with Matt's family, but we went to um, a gas station in Virginia where not a single person was wearing a mask. I was like, I Mm -hmm. probably got it in that gas station. I'm going to now give it to Matt's entire family. (laughs) It's like, I just like, I would have, and I would have to have Matt confirm to me that we weren't sick. I would have an allergy moment. Matt, if Matt has learned, he can't say he has a sore throat. He can't. And of course I'm getting better at it, but like it happened again a a couple months ago and I started to spiral and he was like, you you can't punish me for having a sore throat. I was like, I'm trying not to, but you need to know what's happening inside of this brain, babe. And it's not good. Yeah. Because allergies, I mean, our allergies are naturally terrible because Mm -hmm. our immune systems are 
garbage. And like every time like allergy season comes around, it's like, oh, all right, we're dying. That's yes. it. We got it. We haven't been anywhere, but we got it. Through, exactly. Through the walls. The it, the yeah. walls are dripping COVID. I I maybe licked a wall in my sleep. I mean, it's <laughs> it's truly it's been a tough time, and it's also just it's like you know, damn those shtetls, first of all. But also, I think like I don't have a takeaway. It's just it's just that I'm happy for the, the takeaway is as luckily we'll be we'll be a little bit healthier, and we can go back to just being normal everyday neurotic, and the FOMO won't kill me anymore. Uh, amen to that. Cheers to that. I drink my Ketam grape juice, my Manischewitz. Um, okay. So let me, before we sign off, I just want to say, I know I, I, I ask this question to every guest and we just, I want to make it a, a quick to the point. Do you have something that you blame for making you gay? Was it like when you were growing up, was there either an actor? Was it a show? Was it one? Is it something that you really kind of pin onto? It's Ina Garden. A hundred percent. She like, I think there was this, this, idea of like oh being gay is bad it's like if being gay is bad why are all of these gay men living in east hampton with these cute farm stands mm-hmm. getting invited over for dinner and like there was just something so iconic and it was something that like i emulated as a, as a teenager watching it and now as an adult having friends in east hampton that you go to and you go around and sometimes i'll see jeffrey on walks which like was crazy but um the thing that is most powerful is just like powerful rich gay men living this life of of like no 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 this is this is this is the world this is our place in it yes. um and obviously there are issues with everything and privilege and all that stuff and then, then one does not come without the other but there was something very powerful as a young kid coming to terms with my sexuality to see this like dynasty level luxury around gay people right it's like if gay if being gay is wrong then i don't want to be right i want to be a rich gay in east hampton i mean yes. we we i found out late in the game that my parents went to they have a good friend that lives in manhattan that i've known for years but he i found out late in the game that he his he has a house in quag and i ended up quag. having like, like a, sonia Exactly. Sonia Morgan, we love. I had a like birthday slash bachelor slash pre-wedding little hangout with, I brought a bunch of friends there and it was dreamlike. It was, we had a little edible moment that did go a little too far. Um, because of my delicate system, I had half of a cookie and, um, I went to a restaurant and almost face planted into my, into my seafood salad. It just like, <laughs> it, it hit too hard. And, um, and mm. when we, they, when my brothers carried me out of the restaurant, um, I sat on a stoop waiting for the Uber to come. And I was like, what time is it? Cause in my head, we've been partying all night. And then my, Oh, it's my friend. It was 830. 807. Yeah. That's it. So, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, it's a, it's a shock that I'm not high right now during this recording. Um, but like there is literally never, especially now with the news that it's legal in New York, like I'm going to be the person on the street smoking a blunt, blowing it into cops' faces. Yes. And you know what? We're going to have a high Shabbat for the ages. A gay. Every Shabbat Shabbat is a high Shabbat. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't fucking wait. Well, this has been such a treat having you here. I want to congratulate you. Thank you. And I can't wait to see you at your gorgeous apartment having a gorgeous high gay Shabbat. Can't wait. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Jay Cohen. I'm going to put in the description a link to his cookbook, Jewish. Make sure you follow him at Jay Cohen. Follow me at Eric Wills. And stay tuned for some more incredible guests coming up soon. Bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.